Lynn and I were both saved in the fall of 1976. And uh, we were part of a large Pentecostal church in Detroit. People being saved all the time. A lot of home meetings. It was a great time. But I really wanted to see what I was reading in the scriptures. I wanted to see the power manifested. So I, it was in the late summer of two, uh, a year later in 1977, I got wind of a tent going up over on the Detroit River on the Windsor side in Ontario. So I went. And there was a preacher there whose name was Franklin Walden, and he was from Conyers, Georgia. And he had a group of three young men there singing those country gospel songs. just thrilled my heart. A lot of faith going on. And he would preach. And I saw things there I hadn't seen up until that time. Lots of things. I just want to give you one example, and then I want to tell you a story about what came out of that, and then I'll talk to you out of the Bible. Anyway, so um, while I was there, I went there that first night, and I was excited. I went the next morning because they had daytime meetings, too. I drove from, I think we were living in Southfield, to uh, over to Windsor several times a day if necessary. I was hungry. I bought them all lunch and had a great time in the afternoon. I went back that night. And he had a, a big platform that he was preaching from. But he had a ramp that came up from out there up to the front of the platform and then down the other side. So when he offered prayer, people came up this way, and he sat in a chair just like this and prayed for him. Well, by this time, I'm in the game, so I'm down at the end here, and I'm just watching people come down off the platform, what was happening. I was so excited. And one, there's several things it grinned in me, eyes being opened, wheelchairs being put aside, Crazy, just wonderful things. Anyway, so I'm down here and I'm watching from this end, and this guy who was probably three or four or five years younger than me, big strapping guy, looked athletic. He had a blonde hair and strong, looked like, but he had two crutches, and they were aluminum, those kind of put like this, and they got an arm thing coming up like this to support him. And he's making his way up that ramp. And I watched, and now he's almost next. So he picks up the left one and throws it over the front of the, of the uh, stage. And he grabs a hold of the railing because there's a railing going up all the way down. He grabs a hold of the railing and he throws the other one. I was so excited. Think about what we're seeing here. <laughs> so he walks up. The man prays for him. And he grabs the railing and starts to come down, but he's kind of walking. Now, I have no idea what was wrong with his legs. I don't know. Doesn't matter. By the time he'd come off the end, he was walking. Not very solid. He was kind of rocky, but he was walking. And he walked around the perimeter of the tent. And by the time he got to me, he was walking like me. And he got over here, and he started to trot. And he trotted. By the time he came around here to the other side, he was running. Well, I thought, whew, I was rejoicing and weeping and laughing and having a wonderful time with that. Because he wasn't the only one. There were other things going on like that. <laughs> and I talked to people that had been ministered to in this way before. I hadn't seen that. I knew it was there. It's in the Bible. I want to live that life, that life of faith. So anyway, 
So the next day, I, I went home, I brought Linda. And we went back to the tent and had a nice time. Well, down the road from us, there's a lady whose name was, have you ready for this, in 1977, Cleta Corey. Never met her before, didn't know her. But she was a foster parent to a little boy named Mikey, who was about a year and a half old. Cleta was a, was a Methodist girl. We didn't know her, really. I'm not sure how we got a hold of her, how she got a hold of us. Anyway, you know, so anyway, um, Mikey was a year and a half old, and he couldn't do anything for himself. He had some kind of a muscle disease, and the muscles that he had were deteriorating, and the doctors said, about age two, this little boy is going to die because all of his muscles are deteriorating. His lungs, his heart, every muscle in his body deteriorating. Can you imagine? I never heard anything like that. Anyway, so we told Cleta about the tent, and maybe we should take Mikey over there. Well, she finally agreed. She was, you know, hesitant. But she wouldn't ride with us. She didn't know us. She wouldn't drive her own car. Okay. So I watched her in the rearview mirror. Her car quit on the way over there. We had to stop and get it running again and then go over to Ontario. So now we're under the tent. And there's lights strung along. And Cleta is standing in front of us. We're singing. And I'm standing here. And little Mikey is on her shoulder. Looking at the lights. But he wasn't moving. He didn't have that in him. And I said, oh God, what about Mikey? And he spoke right now. He did that with me a lot. Still does. I never made anything that wasn't perfect. Well, I knew. So she took Mikey up there, and he wept over the baby and prayed for him. Watch him. Going to get better day by day. She came down. Came back. We left. And I'm following her home because she knows the way now, and we're on that freeway in 96. And I want to make sure her car's going to be all right, but my lights are shining in the back window of her car. And I'm seeing two little eyes looking out at me. How could that be? The next day, we find out that Mikey was sitting up in a little chair, a high chair. And he did something he's never been able to do. He reached over and pulled a piece of toast off the table and began to eat it with his own hands. He couldn't do anything like that. He is absolutely helpless. We don't know where Mikey went. He's probably in his early 40s today. And Lynn and I were moving. We moved to another place, and we never got, never saw her again. But I'm absolutely certain. I'd love to meet him and tell him what happened to him when he was a year and a half old, 42 years ago. Because he's about 43 and a half now. I was so excited. And by that time, we were just making our final plans to get rid of the business and Follow Jesus. I have one desire while I'm in this flesh yet. I'd like to do that again. Of course, we do follow him, but how exciting. We've had a very exciting life. I told her this morning, Linda, said something was on television, one of those, what was it, CBS, I don't know. 
And they're bringing accolades with all these people that have done great things. I said, Linda, do you know, baby, that we've already started eternity? You and I are already in eternity. It's not something that's going to happen. We already are. And I said, so when I pass from this house, don't bother to tell anybody. There's no accolades for me. I don't care what people say or think about me. I doubt if anybody's going to say anything. I don't think anybody cares. Because I'm going to march right into heaven and go up to my Father's throne. And that's where I live. Let me tell you a story out of the scriptures, can I? It's in Luke chapter 15. I've lived this one too. <laughs> I love this book. This book tells us the testimony, you know. Did you know that the Bible is a testimony? The testimony of God, the testimony of the devil the testimony of man, the testimony of the church, the testimony. Not everything in this Bible represents God. Now I got to tell you why I say that. It's in Daniel. I know. I'm just going to, can I just flow with what's going on inside of me? Is that okay with you if I do that? That's not a problem, right? Wow. Thank you, Lord. Daniel 6. Anytime I speak, bring your Bible. There's nothing up here. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And he spent the night with the lions. Have you ever spent the night with lions? I've spent the night with lions. I've heard them roar. So then, in the morning, the king, who was exceedingly sorry that he put Daniel in jail, put him in the den, he goes over and he looks down, and, he, and here's what he says. He said, verse 20, when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable lament, with a sorry voice unto Daniel. And the king spoke and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God whom you serve continually able to deliver you from the lions? Is there a response, I'm wondering, he says? Then said Daniel unto the king. And the king heard his voice. O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and has shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Now that's Daniel speaking. Let's see what the Holy Ghost has to say about that though. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him. Why? Because he believed in his God. Not because he was innocent. There's only one that's innocent, you know. 
Jesus. Now let's go to the Luke 15. I wasn't going to do that, but okay. So Jesus is speaking here in verse 11, and he says, So he said to them, A certain man had two sons. Now, let's enter into this, okay? I'm going to try to get us into this story. We're going to be a part of this picture. Can we, can we try to do that? Today? I'm going to do all I can to do it, okay? Because I love this story. When Jesus was speaking to people, he was always revealing the character and nature of the Father. Always. Constantly trying to reveal the one that he knew, the one that he'd been with, the one that sent him to earth, he wanted to reveal that one to God's people. He never went to the Gentile. Did you notice that? He only went to the people who were called by God's name. That should encourage you today. So, a certain man had two sons. Great. Did you know that God has two sons? His first son he created. Like you were created, by the way. Your father and mother came together and created you, and you, and you, and me, and you. We were created by the power that God gave to a man and a woman to come and procreate and create a child. So we had that first son that he created. His name is Adam. But he lost Adam to the world. Adam was a lost soul. Then he had a second son that he was born, though, Jesus. Then he wasn't lost. He did the Father's will. So here's this man has two sons. Now let's take a look at the youngest son here. These are two men who have a father that they're working with. So the youngest son goes to his dad and he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. That's curious, isn't it? If at first thought you think, well, wait a minute, this is a retirement or rather an inheritance when the father dies, you're going to give the boy some, maybe that's true. But, but there's something else here because of something the second son said. I think that possibly the father was offering them a portion of the work and a portion of the business in the family farm that they were storing up equity in the farm by working the farm faithfully with their father. Now, this younger son did not like the farm. It's obvious here for his actions. So he said, I, I want you to give me my portion. So his father did. He divided to both sons the portion. Well, no squalling, no lectures. Here, George, I'll give your brother his too. Then he says, not many days, ooh, not weeks and months, not many days later, <laughs> the, young, the younger son gathers everything together and he takes his journey into a far country and there's, there's no postal service. He's not going to write his dad. There's no technology. His dad has no idea where his son went. He just knows his son. He knows his son. Don't you think it's interesting the relationship that this boy had with his father? As the younger son, he could go without any impunity, without any hesitation. Dad, I want you to give me my part of the money. I'm ready to leave. 
He had this relationship with his father. Isn't that wonderful? He had a relationship with his dad. He could talk to his dad. And his dad had one with him. They had a relationship, a love relationship. And the son never felt a strange or anything like that. Able to go to his dad and say, I know that this is not for 20 years from now, but I want mine today. Okay, here you go. So, and there he wasted everything he had with riotous living. Do you know what he, don't do that. Do you know, do you know what he could have done? He could have taken that money and started his own farm, his own business. Could have invested in some place. No, he just whizzed it away. He went to the big city where the bright lights are and squandered all of his money. He's out there with the ladies, and who knows what was going on out there. There's no record of that. But we know about today what it would look like with a young man. You give a, you give a 19-year-old kid 50 grand and see what he does. We know something like that, don't we, honey? <laughs> we know about a big car. Anyway, the, the, you know what he could do to, to waste his money, especially if he's given to drink or drugs or anything else, and just out there just squandering money, living the high life, being a big shot, not taking any thought for tomorrow or any thought for his life. That's what he was doing. Now, finally, after he'd spent everything, enter God. <laughs> you see, we're talking about a son of God here. We're not talking about a son of this farmer. We're talking about a man who calls on God, who took what he had and went off and squandered it. So now God has, God has agents out there. Uh, they're called devils, and they can, they can make things happen to turn the boy around. You know, in the world here, if we walk outside of God's plan... God's not going to slap us. He's not going to give us a backhand. He's not going to holler at us and scream at us. No, we're out of the path. We're walking with devils. We're, now we're exposed. Angels are around us, but they're commanded. You can only go so far with this one. He's got to learn some lessons. That's called chastisement. So he chastises us to get us to do one thing, turn and come back. So... Now there's a mighty famine in the land, and he started to begin want. That, that means that his needs were not being met. Let's see where he goes. He goes to a farmer who has pigs. They're called swine in the King James, but they're pigs and hogs. Have you ever been around a hog farm, anybody? Huh? I have. Ooh. <laughs> they're unpleasant. Probably get used to it after a while. He's looking at the hogs, and he's jealous over them. They got these big ears of corn, and he just—I'd be having to eat those husks. He's become a prisoner of this of this citizen of the land, this farmer. He's lost his independence. He's lost his freedom. He's subject to this farmer who says, "I'm not interested in you. I'll give you some room and board, but you're going to feed those pigs every day. You're going to sleep with them. You're going to live with those hogs. They got to be taken care of." And that's your lot. That's what you do. So he's lost his independence. He's lost his money. He's living in shame. You know what? I've met a lot of people over the years, Christians, Christian people, that are living in that same situation on the inside. Living with hogs. No liberty. 
no freedom. No real sense of the love of God. Living in the world, of the world, for the world, portion in the world. For some reason, they haven't gotten it, who they really are. When you're in Christ, who you really are. So this young man has lost his freedom, lost his independence, lost everything he owned. He's a slave to this farmer, and he's living with the pigs, and he's jealous. My Bible says he fain wanted to eat those fain. What's that? I looked it up. That's an old word for like jealousy, <laughs> longing desire for those husks. And that's where this boy was. Well, after all that, something took place. It's an amazing thing when you finally realize that, man, I follow this great road. <laughs> Turned into a turned into a small road, a true track. And now it's a trail. And now there is no path, and I'm lost. I've been there. Now what? Now I remember years ago I said, Lord, if I ever get lost in the woods, I'm just gonna sit down and wait for you to come and get me. <laughs> what else can I do? Learn to wait on the Lord. Learn to wait on the Lord. So anyway. Because he knows where you're at. He'll come and get you. So anyway, this guy comes down to the end of the line, and he's got no place else to go, and finally it occurs to him. Wow. What an embarrassing moment. What a shameful moment. What a terrible sense of loss in this moment. That back at my father's house that I left, where I was so comfortable, where I had it so good, the servants have more to eat than me. They're living better than I have for the longest time. I haven't seen my father in a number of years, and here I sit. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to tell my dad that I've sinned against God and him, and that I'm not even worthy to be his son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just... He's rehearsing this on a way. He's repenting. Just make me like one of their servants. He's broken. He's humbled. He has nothing. And he knows it. And he's on his way home. What he didn't know... was that every day his father got out of bed and went and worked his portion of the farm. But at night after dinner, he'd go sit on the porch and he'd rock in his chair on the porch and he'd kept a lookout down the road and he'd pray. And in patience, he'd wait and he waited, and he waited, but he waited with expectation. Finally, one day, he's looking down the road. His son is 
finishing up his last rehearsal of what he's going to say to his father. I went over, I, here's one for you. I will arise and go home. I will arise and go home. Even the servants have plenty in all. True living is gone. I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven, unworthy to be called your son. But I know that I'll be forgiven. Oh, glory. So I will arise go home. That's what he was saying. And his father suddenly, suddenly saw him so far off. But how could he mistake that? I haven't seen it in years. But I can't mistake that gate. I can't mistake that walk. That's my son. Oh, he jumped up and ran to him. This is what God does. He ran to him. And he started to speak. And said, oh, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I'm not going to Oh, come here, son. Hugged his neck. Bring the robe. Bring the ring. Kill the fatted calf. Invite the neighbors. There's joy in the house. My son was dead. And now he's alive. This is how your father sees you no matter where you're at. So there was a big party going on. Dad is so exciting. I don't want to hear what you did with the money. Do you think I care about that money? I don't care where you were. I don't care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. Your brother gave his life to make you free. So he wouldn't listen to anything about his son. Nothing. This is my son. You're talking about my son? This is my son! Speak well of my son. But there's another brother. Remember, there were two brothers. He got his here too. And he's working in the fields, and he hears all this commotion. He says to the, one of the servants, what's going on in the house? Oh, it's your brother. He's back now, and your father killed the fatted calf. What? Yeah, he killed the fatted kill fat calf, and they're having a party. What? So he goes into his father, and he says, what's going on here? How could this be? That son of yours went out and spent all of his money on whores and running around, and he comes back all broken. Who knows what he's infected with? And you kill the fatted calf? I've served you all these years? You never kill a calf for me. I want you to note the relationship, the fellowship. He's a son. Totally. And the father said, son, you're ever with me in everything I have. It's always been. And it is yours. Isn't it amazing what we don't take of the table because we simply don't either come to the table or we don't ask God.
it would do you well, sons and daughters of my father, that you would ask God for everything that you need, that you'd never trust yourself, that you'd never look to man or anybody else but the Father for what you need. And your Father, who sees your requests in secret, will reward you openly. We only have not because we don't ask. Sometimes we ask, and we ask in pride because we want to consume something upon the lust of our flesh in this world. And he's able to deal with that too. He knows how. You've been trapped in his love. He's given you his spirit. He knows your name. You're trapped in his love. You can't get out. You can go to a far country and you can squander everything you have. But he has agents out there that will turn you someday and bring you home. That's my dad I'm talking about. I know him. But it's that big brother. He had the spirit of the brother, but not the spirit of the father. The father loved his son. The brother didn't quite love his brother. He was jealous, angry, felt dispossessed. God wants us to love each other, even in our crimes, even in our folly. Because it's his goodness that leads us to repent. And that was true repentance on the part of the younger brother. I'm just going to go to my dad and tell him. I'm going to own up and tell him I sinned. I'm not worthy to be your son. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've embarrassed you. I've shamed you. Kill the fatted calf. My son was dead and he's alive. My son was gone and he's home. So what I've tried to portray to you today, not the younger son's issues and not the older son's issues, because that's just the flesh. But I want us to see our Father and have the freedom and the courage and the love and the faith to take everything to Him, to take nothing upon ourselves, to take everything to Him, every issue of life, every situation. I have a good friend who lives in Tennessee. He got married. I married him, matter of fact. Yeah, in Allegan. I think, didn't they? Anyway, quite a few years ago. And I prophesied over at the wedding about the pitter, they have the pitter patter little feet. What we didn't know was that she had, she was barren. She couldn't have children. But that's not what they wanted. They wanted to have a baby. And so we agreed together, and I agreed with them, and I held that, and they held that. And a lot of, a lot, a lot of life passed over their ways. A lot of time passed over their ways. But in 2008, 17 years later, by the way, 17 years of prayer had gone up and waiting. I was visiting him over in their home near Lansing. 
And he said, I'm going to tell you something, and I don't want you to tell anybody. I, okay, I can do that. I can tell you now. He wrote something down on a piece of paper, and he said, it's called the Zerkes Project. Anybody know Zerkes? Keela. Keela and, and Billy Zerkes. Long time ago, I figure. Anyway, and I'm sure Carrie knows him. Anyway, the Zerkes Project, December 8, 2008. Great, what's that? Keela's pregnant. She'd been pregnant several times and kept losing. It just couldn't fly. Couldn't have babies. Well, Cohen came forth in December of 2008. That makes him, what, about 11 now? <laughs> Will be 11 this year. Sharper than a tack. Loves the Lord. Prays and gets answers. Heals the sick. Does it all. <laughs> anyway, uh, and they've raised him in the Lord for sure. The only reason we don't have is that we don't ask. When I got saved, I was on I-96 all alone. And you know why I turned to God? I was so bored with my life. I had a beautiful wife, still do, same wife. Three lovely sons, still do. Nice home, nice business. Security was building and growing in our business. And, and, and I was developing more and more cash flow. And I was kind of a natural at what I was doing. And it was just never an issue to go out and make some money. But I was so bored. So melancholy of all things done. So the Lord was faithful to put some faithful witnesses in my path. So on December the 16th, on a Tuesday around November the 16th, I'm sorry, 1976, on a Tuesday morning around 10 or 10.30, I left my office. I was going to get in my sedan to build, get some gas, buy some beer and some cigarettes. Just take a long drive out the freeway just to think. All I did was get on the freeway, and I drove out I-96 toward 10-mile road. And on the way, I'm just cruising. I said, God, if you're real, I need you. Boy, like it happened about 10 minutes ago. This presence filled my car, flooded my heart. I couldn't drive. I pulled off to the side of the road and just regurgitated for the next 15 minutes all the hell and the disappointment. I wanted a life. I was living like everybody around me. What I saw, I couldn't deal with it. I didn't realize that I was called and chosen before the foundation of the world. I didn't know that. How could I know that? I never read the Bible. I didn't know what life could be like. When I stopped praying, I looked up around. I saw, kind of saw colors for the first time. Really saw them. I'd always seen color, but I really saw them. I turned around and went home and scared my wife. I started dealing with the kids in ways I'd never done that. I was a lousy father, lousy husband. And so, it's worked all the time. I was gone doing what I wanted to do. Anyway, the, life, the Lord gave me a life of excitement. He gave me an adventure. And for the next 30 years, I lived that adventure. Now, for the last 12 or so, it hasn't been quite as bad. Just, I guess you'd say there's some adventure there, but it's kind of difficult. 
But anyway, we got through all that. So now adventure is starting again. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> because that's how I'm built. That's what I need. So when you ask the Father for what you need and want, He'll give it to you. So I'm telling you to, to understand that He loves you deeply. He cares about the details of your life. And He'll respond to you. His hands are like this. He's not withholding anything. Ask Him for your portion. And let Him give it to you. It's been earmarked for you. Amen. <laughs> so, Lord, what are you doing this morning, Lord? What are you saying this morning here to some hearts, Father? Is there anything specific, Lord, that you want to talk about? Anything specific that you want to say, Father? Because we're here. And we're open to you, Lord. Something I almost always do. Sometimes when I'm speaking, people hear something in their spirit from God. And they want to pray about it. So if that's you this morning, if you heard something specific in your spirit that you'd like to pray about, then I'd like to pray with you. And you can come up here and we'll pray. And uh, let God do what he's going to do. Because he loves us. He heals us. He delivers us. He provides for us. We're not a people just interested in creature comforts. This body that you carry is just a house. It's not going to heaven. You're not joined to that. It's a house. Kind of like driving down the road in your car. Your car is getting you from here to there. But it's not a part of you. So your body is just a house carrying you around. That's how we identify who you are, by your house, your body. I've learned that my, my body is sustained by the life that's in me, and I make it that way. I exercise my, my spirit to keep my body moving, keep pain out of my body, to keep weakness out of my body. Because the Spirit of Christ lives in me and He's made my mortal body alive. And so I, I press that. Can you do that? I press that so that I can walk there. I, I have an adventure that I'm going to be, that I'm already starting. You, a lot of you know about it. And it, it, that it, normally at my age, you wouldn't even think about doing something like that, starting to do that. <laughs> but I'm going to do it because I can. And I can because he lives in me. Because he and I are one and we're talking to you. He's talking to you. So, is there anything you want to pray about? If you do, just stand up and come on up here we'll pray.